You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world. Here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Teller from Jerusalem, the podcast that makes you knowledgeable and morally sensitive. Our next podcast will be devoted to character, God willing. Listeners to Teller from Jerusalem will recall, and if you are not yet a regular listener, it is so easy to listen to any previous episode, wherever you like to hear podcasts, meaning on every platform. And while you're at it, subscribe as well. Our listeners will recall that the UN was about to vote on partition, and surprisingly, the Soviet Union supported it, as did the United States. United States means President Truman, for the State Department was opposed. The world was shocked by the sudden Soviet support of the partition plan, affording a home for the Jews, for this contravened all of Stalin's policy heretofore, as is briefly explained in the How It Was video. The initial position of the Soviet Union was clear. They considered Zionism a harmful, semi-fascist ideology, while the Arabs were defending their homeland from colonialism. In the USSR itself, Zionists were repressed, shot, and forced into exile. In the land of the Soviets, the Hebrew language was banned. But despite the previous Soviet position, Stalin saw an opportunity and was able to window dress it as sympathy for the Jews. On May the 14th, 1947, during a meeting of the UN General Assembly, Andre Gromyko, the permanent representative of the USSR to the organization, took to the podium. All those present thought they knew what they were about to hear. But suddenly, Gromyko gave an impassioned speech on the terrible fate suffered by the Jews in the war and their need to have an independent state. No Western European state had been able to assure the defense of the basic rights of the Jewish people. The Soviet Union said Gromyko would still prefer a single Arab Jewish state with equal rights for Jews and Arabs. But if the UN Commission found this impossible to implement, there was a justifiable alternative. The partition of Palestine into two single independent states, one Jewish and one Arab. Gromyko's speech had the effect of an exploding bomb. Nobody expected such a pro-Zionist position from the USSR. Stalin believed that the military assistance to Israel would promote its transformation into a pro-Soviet state, which would help break British dominion in the Middle East. This was the constellation that Ben-Gurion had spoken about. Russia and its satellites supported the partition plan. The reason for support was not as Kosygin had argued before the world's august body, invoking compassion over the loss of the Jews in World War II and their lack of a country where they could be safe. Kosygin neglected to mention that the Soviet Union had gone out of its way to never make the Jews feel welcome and had encouraged and initiated pogroms. The Soviet Minister of Foreign Affairs, Andrei Gromyko, surprised the Western world with a pro-Zionist speech. During the last war, the Jewish people endured indescribable suffering. This explains the aspirations of the Jews to establish their own state. It would be unjust to deny them that right. Stalin was calling the shots and, just like in 1984, the position can change in a flash, and an enemy is overnight an ally, an au contraire, and the past is not only forgotten, but never even existed. George Orwell would be proud. So now Stalin, who had a distinct status among the major anti-Semites of the world and of history, 
even with the blood-soaked past of the czars that had instituted and state-sponsored anti-Semitism, saw an opportunity to grab a foothold in the Middle East and usurp British and Western influence. It was a 1984 zap, and Russia was able to disguise expansionism as compassion. But even with these two major powers, meaning the United States and the Soviet Union, that still wasn't enough votes, according to the UN regulations, and a two-third majority was necessary. The Arab and Muslim states were dead set against partition, and the largest bloc in the United Nations were the Latin American states, which committed to the Catholic Church, which was very dominant in Latin America, and the Church was anti-partition. Going into the vote, Israel had a majority. In many ways, this was a consequence of sympathy over the Holocaust, but it still wasn't the necessary two-thirds. Another factor that was playing on the conscience of the world was the aftermath of the Exodus 1947 affair that the British, or perhaps it would be more accurate to say Ernest Bevan, the foreign secretary in the post-war labor government, had handled so cruelly, cynically, and monstrously that overall there was a climate to be sympathetic to the Jews. For the full details about what happened with the Exodus, which was covered well and in-depth in a popular Tell It From Jerusalem podcast that was aired on February 2nd, 2022, the listeners advised to download this episode, which is easily accessible from wherever you like to hear your podcasts, and it is really, really worth the listen. Here's a brief synopsis from the DW documentary on the birth of the State of Israel. While the UN committee was preparing its report, the Jewish agency pressured the British to open Palestine's borders to Jewish immigrants. The paramilitary group Haganah chartered an old ship, naming it Exodus 1947. In July, it arrived outside Haifa with 4,500 Jewish immigrants from Central Europe. Most were survivors of the Holocaust and Nazi death camps. Rather than continue living in the displaced persons camps, they joined those immigrating illegally to Palestine. But their hopes were dashed when British naval forces boarded and searched the vessel. In the struggle, three passengers were killed and 100 others wounded. There were terrible clashes throughout the journey. From Haifa, they were sent back to France and then to Hamburg. The events brought about a turning point. Faced with international outrage, the British were incentivized to handle the issue as peacefully as possible. At the UN, the delegations prepared to vote on Palestine's future. So yet again, Israel had a majority in the world body in favor of partition, which would mean statehood, as soon as the British mandatory authority left the country, but she lacked the necessary two-third majority. The reason for this was that although the Soviet Union had made good on its promise to bring along its satellite countries, and it was able to dictate its will, the United States made a policy decision that it would not coerce any of its allies to support. America's UN delegation was under the aegis of the State Department, and traditionally the State Department was always deeply anti-Semitic. And the State Department was very opposed to partition, and they did nothing for it. They were upset with President Truman's determination to vote for it against their advice. Abba Ibn was in America having just come from a whirlwind lobbying visit to Europe. 
and would spend the next two days spinning his magical persuasive talents on countries not committed to vote in favor of the partition plan. This is captured in the DW documentary about the birth of Israel. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations General Assembly convened in New York for its 128th plenary meeting. On the day's agenda, a vote to partition British Mandatory Palestine into two independent states, an Arab state and a Jewish state. The resolution required a two-thirds majority to pass. Most representatives from the Jewish agency had returned to Palestine, as few believed the resolution would garner enough votes. One exception, a Jewish agency delegate, Abba Eban, liaison officer to the UN Special Committee on Palestine, who thought the situation could change. In Eban's retelling, they took a map of the world, divided it, and worked on persuading the delegates. Despite their efforts, they still needed to secure three or four more votes. And the clock was ticking. Eban said, telegrams went out all over the world, and powerful people were woken up at midnight for what seemed like an impossible mission. He recalled that everyone wielded whatever influence they had to, quote, turn the tide in our favor. France had planned to abstain, but Eban said he convinced Chaim Weizmann, a Zionist leader with the Jewish agency delegation, to contact Léon Blum, the former French prime minister and longtime friend. Weizmann asked Blum, does France really wish to be absent from a moment that will forever be etched in the memory of humanity? On November 25th, the incomparable Chaim Weizmann reached out twice to Truman and explained that if the United States does not put its weight behind the decision, the vote will go the wrong way, and the issue could be shelved, possibly forever. Truman was under enormous pressure on this issue from both sides, but decided to go with his morally dictated conscience and sent a message to the United States UN delegation that, quote, you're to get all the necessary votes, and if you do not, there will be hell to pay. A clearer message was never issued. The term hell is always associated with Harry Truman, and never did a phrase catch on as tenaciously as the call, Give him hell, Harry. The title comes from an incident that took place during the 1948 presidential election campaign. During his whistle-stop campaign in Bremerton, Washington, Washington State, Truman delivered a speech attacking the Republicans. In the midst of his presentation, a supporter yelled out, Give him hell, Harry. Forever after, that was the Harry Truman Association. Hell with Harry and Harry with hell. And it did not hurt that he spoke tough and meant what he said. The expression means to respond to something bluntly or in a straightforward manner. Here's an example of Harry Truman's rhetoric, although this is not selected from a campaign speech, but from an address he gave on national radio on June 1st 1945, warning the Japanese not to mess with the United States, for they are finished. We are now engaged in a process of deploying millions of our armed forces against Japan in a mass movement of troops and supplies and weapons over 14,000 miles, a military and naval feat unequaled in all history. Substantial portions of Japan's key industrial centers have been leveled to the ground in a series of record incendiary raids. What has already happened to Tokyo will happen to every Japanese city whose industries feed the Japanese war machine. If the Japanese insist on continuing resistance, 
beyond the point of reason, their country will suffer the same destruction as Germany. Our blows will destroy their whole modern industrial plant and organization, which they have built up during the past century, and which they are now devoting to a hopeless cause. Again, a clear message was never issued. Truman insisted that whoever required U.S. assistance must fall in line behind the United States on this vote. Haiti and the Philippines were receptive to U.S. pressure, so that when the vote took place, that was monitored by people listening on radios all across the world, or as it was called at the time, watching the radio, all writing down and keeping track to the tally, the motion passed. The DW documentary records that... David Ben-Gurion listened to the first results on the radio. By his side was Eleanor Roosevelt, the widow of the former U.S. president. She had lobbied for the United States to help refugees in World War II, and she'd played a key role in drafting the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights. France was keeping quiet about its plans, but Léon Blum, who was very touched by Chaim Weizmann's message, promised to use his influence. U.S. President Truman pressured the representatives of the reluctant member states to vote for partition. The Philippines and Haiti were promised loans in return. Here's a clip from the British movie tone, for this is the way people viewed the news before TV and news clips that were screened in movie theaters before the actual film. At Flushing, Long Island, the General Assembly of the United Nations has made its decision on Palestine. The map shows what partition means. The Jewish state colored light, the Arab state dark, Jaffa to go to the Arabs, Jerusalem internationalized. There was heated debate in the assembly. This is the delegate from Saudi Arabia arguing against partition. Then, Senor Arana of Brazil, presiding, calls on the nations to vote and announces how they vote. Saudi Arabia? No. Soviet Union? Yes. United Kingdom? Abstain. The United States? Yes. The resolution of the Duck Committee for Palestine was adopted by 33 votes, 13 against. And this was the scene next day in Jerusalem. The Jewish people at once began to celebrate the United Nations' decision. If they hadn't got all they wanted, they had at least gained the verdict for the setting up of a new Jewish state, and their rejoicing was obviously a spontaneous affair. Such was the immediate Jewish reaction in Jerusalem, and it was the same in Tel Aviv and elsewhere. The Arab reaction was to follow. Two days later, this was the typical scene. Arabs advancing on the center of Jerusalem at the beginning of a three-day strike and an orgy of wrecking, looting, and bloodshed. Isolated police were more or less powerless to deal with the riot, which beginning as a demonstration, quickly led to the burning of Jewish shops and the general destruction of Jewish property. During this time, fighting between Arabs and Jews was a commonplace occurrence, and there were many casualties on both sides through stabbing and shooting. And arrests were made on both sides. Here are some Jews being taken into custody after a rooftop chase. Grenades and revolvers were freely used by the rioters. 
fires were soon blazing in many places throughout Jerusalem. The burning of the wrecked cinema is typical. The implementing of the United Nations decision is the big query. Meanwhile, Britain announces the ending of her mandate next May. The vote in the end was 33 in favor, 13 against, and 10 abstentions. Wherever people listened, once the vote was over and the decision was announced, Jews all over the world, not just in Palestine, went out into the streets and started dancing. Thank you very much to Howard Felsen for his masterful audio engineering. And thank you all out there for listening and always coming over to me to acknowledge how much you are enjoying this podcast. Don't be shy, and please tell others about it. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode, and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store, and just by inserting the TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to tellerfromjerusalem.com. 